Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, Interim Chair of the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. With me today is Dr. Bill Maurice, the President and CEO of Mayo Clinic Laboratories. This is our weekly discussion with Dr. Maurice, in which we learn about updates in the field of laboratory medicine and pathology. Hi, Bill. Welcome back. Hi, Bobby. Good to be back. Great to have you as always. And as always, we have lots to talk about. This week, we have a few things to talk about with the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, and what's been going on in the realm of clinical lab testing. Yeah, so it's a topic that we've covered before, and we'll cover it again here because, as they say, things are happening. A couple of things in the last couple of weeks, actually, along these lines. So let's dive right in. I'd say the first thing that's hot off the presses is that the FDA recently announced their intent to provide a proposed rule that would amend the FDA's regulations to make it explicit that our laboratory-developed tests, LDTs, are devices under the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act. So something we've talked about before, this whole regulation of LDTs, and of course, valid was a big topic in the past. So now the FDA is just going to go by rulemaking. They want to propose a rule that would just amend the regulations to make it explicit that they have jurisdiction over LDTs. Well, it would do more than that, though. It certainly would not It would make it explicit, but it would also then define what legally a lab was responsible mm -hmm. for for providing an LDT to a patient, right? And so yeah. the challenge that we will have as laboratorians is that the way the FDA works, they can make the rule, but the rule has to be within the set of capabilities or tools. That they have a toolbox that, yeah. the, that the Congress approves them having, right? So they have a whole toolbox. Congress has said, yes, you should be regulating devices, and they have a whole set of, of tools they can use to do that, the 510K, the PMA, all those sorts of pre-market assessment and post-market you know, audits and all that kind of stuff and reporting. That's the tools that they will now apply to the question of LDTs, which, of course, mm -hmm. is something that we've been really concerned with because those regulations were really not des designed or written with the dynamic of a clinical laboratory in mind per se. And so that's been the concern all along. So we'll just have to see if the FDA has legal authority, they have these processes they need to follow, and then their rule gets published and people by law have to stick with it. But that's why the whole question of does FDA have authority to do this or not, which is a separate one, is a really becomes a really important one too. Yeah, it's very interesting because, of course, as we've said before, the FDA feels that they already have jurisdiction over LDTs, and they've in the past exercised that enforcement of various LDTs. They've reviewed them. They, in general, though, have exercised discretion on enforcing LDTs, but this would make it a lot more explicit. So I think we're going to keep everyone up to date about when this proposed role is available for comment because it will be very important for all of us as laboratorians to provide feedback. This will be our opportunity. And then, of course, like you said, the FDA is going to review those comments, maybe incorporate some of it into the final regulation, maybe not. If the role gets approved, it would have many more implications for all of us. So it's really quite an important time for all laboratorians to really pay attention. Yes. And the other thing to point out, though, Bobby, is that valid actually was reintroduced. So those yes, so because <laughs> yeah, I think from our perspective as laboratorians, mm -hmm. it really fell into two camps. One was that FDA doesn't have authority to do this. 
and I can tell you this, this is my role as the ACLA board chair. This is not just for academic medicine. This is just people in labs in general, whether they're independent labs or academics. There were really two camps. One was basically saying, FDA doesn't have authority to do this. This is an mm -hmm. overreach. If you look at the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act, it's not in there. We should fight this. We shouldn't give any ground. Mm -hmm. Others have said, FDA is going to do this. And the only tools that they have to do it are the ones that were created for someone that's manufacturing a big piece of equipment, right? We should work with the legislative process to create a new set of tools that would be more specific to laboratories, that would include things like grandfathering, that would include things like being able to recognize New York State as having deemed status, all those things. That's what was invalid. Now, if you don't believe FDA has the authority, and I was on a very interesting panel around this at, at ISLH, International Society for Lab Hematology, did with Dr. Genzen, the legislative solution, you wouldn't even go down that road because why would you give ground there versus mm -hmm. the legislative solution would have actually very much more specific things for the laboratory, which make it a lot easier for us to live with. I can tell you the device flaw. I mean, we've done our own assessment. You're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars for an individual test mm -hmm. to get it FDA approved. I mean, most labs are just not going to be able to, to do that, right? It would have a so, huge negative impact. It has a huge negative impact. Mm -hmm. So the other thing is to think about valid. It's still out there to understand it, to think about getting engaged. If that bill gets any traction around it, I know you were involved with CAP. CAP got engaged mm -hmm. with this. So that's the other thing is working through your professional societies or through your organizations to think about what's invalid with this, particularly if this continues to gain momentum around comment rulemaking, because Again, the advantage of a legislative process is that it is the process by which labs can actually influence whatever comes out, as opposed to FDA just having unilateral authority as it does right now. It is very interesting that FDA is putting out a proposed rule and going down the rulemaking pathway at the same time that the Valid Act has been reintroduced in uh, March of this year, actually. So we have these two things going side by side, and it does come down to where do we feel each of our listeners may have a different view on, do we feel that FDA has this jurisdiction already? And if so, do we want to work towards creating valid and, and helping valid become a, a very practical method for labs to use? Or do we want to say, no, let's not go with valid and let's wait to see what happens with FDA, but it's risky. And whichever path goes, it's going to have profound implications for us in laboratory medicine. Absolutely. And then the question is, so what happens if Fallow doesn't pass and it gets no end and they put out a final rule? That doesn't mean that it's going to be the end of the story. Is You can sue. Mm -hmm. I know an individual, but organizations could potentially sue the FDA and say that this is an overstep. You can imagine what a messy affair that would be. I think there is precedent for that. I've never been involved with it. I'm not a lawyer. It doesn't sound <laughs> like a happy path to me. That's mm -hmm. for dang sure. Or that there'll just be a lot of potentially pushback through other branches of the government, the administration the White House, others just, you know, so it won't be the end of the game, but it becomes a much more contentious, even I know valid was difficult for a lot of people. And there was a yeah. lot of controversy around that, but this would be a whole nother level. So yes, interesting times. And I do think there's receptivity because the other thing that you mentioned was a few weeks ago, we also saw the pilot program published from the FDA, from the Oncology Center of Excellence and Dr. Pazder about uh, alternate approaches to companion diagnostics to have a way to get a companion diagnostic proof through FDA, not based on the individual test, but based on the performance characteristics of the test so that you would just have to show that your test met these different quality metrics and accuracy and, and et cetera to be used as a companion diagnostic. So uh, there is this kind of, as you said, 
it's a really a bit of a mixed bag on the one hand, trying to open the door to laboratory community mm-hmm. through valid or through this pilot program to be kind of, so it reflects, I think that there is some understanding within FDA that, that the, the labs are different and really important for healthcare, but in the other things continue to march forward. They do. So I guess the advice I would have for all of our listeners is to keep informed on the issues. I'd say CAP, ACLA are two excellent organizations that provide really up-to-date information on these topics. So keeping really engaged, advocacy is always important, listening to us, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, we'll keep you up to date and try to give you the, the really high level overview of the important things that people need to know. But I think it is important for us all to keep in touch and uh, keep up to date on this. Agreed. 100%. Now that's why we'll be here. We'll have plenty yeah. to talk about. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks, Bill. Always interesting. Yeah, Good to indeed. talk with you. Thanks, Bobby. See you later. Thank you so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday. <laughs>